Thank you so much, Kate, and thank you so much, the whole Scott family. We really do give thanks to you. Um, you know, uh, it's not easy for 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 just for the for, as you all know. I'm sure if you're watching. Uh, people volunteer to do this willingly and in doing so they're volunteering to put themselves under a lot of stress and strain and uh, uh, we are so thankful for you to uh, lead us this morning. Thank you so much. Um, and I hope you'll join us afterwards for uh, our Zoom coffee time uh, like we did last week. Last week we divided up into smaller groups after a little while. We'll do that this time. That seemed to work well last time. And if on previous occasions you've joined but you've been a bit, I don't know, intimidated by all the pictures on all the faces on the screen but you might like the idea of being able to chat in a smaller group, try it again this week. Join up and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, it's good to see each other and it is good to chat. So do come along then. So let's turn together then to God's word and, and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. The film uh, 12 Years a Slave is really not an easy watch. It's quite harrowing. But the heart does lift at the end when Solomon Northrup's uh, friends from the north turn up with papers to prove that this ill-treated, downtrodden plantation slave is actually a free man after all, and he has been all along. His owner struggles to accept this. Of course, he shouts and he threatens all kinds of horrors at Solomon. But Solomon, having spent 12 years as a slave, having to obey this vile man and men like him, now just ignores him. He walks away into freedom. Well, throughout this chapter, Paul is saying to believers, you are no longer slaves. Look, here are the papers. You are free to go. Sin is no longer your slave master. Yes, he was the old slave master, but he no longer has any power over you. So stop obeying him. That's his point. The believer, he has said, the believer has died and has been raised with Christ to new life. A slave who dies no longer belongs to the old master. The old master has no power over the slave once that slave has died. And we have died to sin in Christ. That's his argument. In, uh, in verse 15. He uh, says, what then? Shall we sin because we are no long, we are not under law but under grace? By no means. That's a question he, he uh, said, in, he, he posed in, in verse 1 of the chapter. It's repeating the same question. If we're saved, if we're justified by grace through faith, not by what we do, does that mean that it doesn't matter how we go on to live, how we now behave as believers? Can we just go on living as we like? Paul is imagining people saying that to him. People saying to him, you can't say this. You can't preach this free gospel because people will just carry on doing what they like. And he answers the same way as he did before. By no means. We can't do that because of what has happened to us. He goes on, verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, 
or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's continuing this imagery of slavery. Having been released from slavery to sin, we now have, we now have a choice, actually. Just going back to 12 years a slave, when Solomon received that news from the north, when his slave over owner started hollering at him and threatening him to get back into the field, to get back to work, Solomon could have been completely intimidated by him, completely afraid of him, and just obeyed him out of fear, continue to live as a slave. That could have happened, despite the fact that the owner no longer had legal hold onto him. Now, that's true for us as Christians too. Although in Christ we are free from sin slavery, we can still go on offering ourselves as sin slaves. And we do that whenever we follow our sinful impulses. But there's an alternative. And that alternative is not to do whatever we like. That's not the uh, alternative to being slaves to sin. Nature abhors a vacuum. And uh, we cannot live with a vacuum of not having a master. We will always be influenced. We'll always be led by something or someone. We always will. If we don't positively offer ourselves up to obedience to God, then the old atmosphere of slavery to sin will just come rushing in. In other words, in the words of the great Bob Dylan, we've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. We've got to serve somebody. Having been freed from sin, we now have the option of choosing our master. Verses 17 to 18, Paul goes on. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. He's saying, look, you've obeyed. You've responded to the gospel. It's a strange way to describe receiving the gospel, strange way to describe Christian conversion. But he's saying, you've heard the gospel, you've responded, you've been set free from sin to become slaves to righteousness. And no one can serve two masters. That's what Jesus said. How ridiculous it would be if having been set free, we now chose to serve the master of sin. That would be ridiculous. That would be a complete denial of who we are in Christ. Now, he knows this is a strange way of talking. He knows that to call our new life in Christ a form of slavery, he knows that's not a perfect illustration. He knows that that jars with us somewhat. So he says, verse 19, I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. He's, he's, He's drawing a parallel to help us to understand what's going on here. And there's so little in comparison with these two masters. After all, sin was a a terrible, cruel, despotic master who didn't care one jot for us. But if we're believers, our new master, the Lord Jesus Christ, he loves us deeply. He only wants the best for us. He doesn't want to coerce us like a slave master. He wants us to willingly follow his lead. Because we love him and we know that he loves us. 
But Paul is making the point here that we are not free to be our own master. We do have a new master. It's like when you get your driving license. Don't know if you remember that. Perhaps some of, for some of you that's happened just recently. But what a thing to get your driving license. Freedom. Isn't it wonderful? Does that mean you can drive where you like? Well, no, actually. You do have to stick to the roads and the speed limits. You can't drive like you're the only one on the road. Yet with a license you are still far more free than you are without one. In Christ, we have liberty, not licentiousness. We're not free to do whatever we like, but we are free to do the things that give us true um, purpose and meaning and and freedom in life. Paul uh, talks about being slaves to righteousness. He says, slaves to righteousness We've been uh, put into this new um, relationship. We've talked, he's talked all the way through the book about being justified. We've been put into this new relationship with the Lord. We've had our sins forgiven, but also we've been welcomed as God's friends. We are at peace with him. It's amazing. All that uh, we've seen, righteousness means to be put into a right relationship with God. We've seen that throughout. Well, that's the kind of life we've been delivered into. Uh, to know uh, uh, eternal life is to know God. Uh, we, we saw, uh, Kate reminded us earlier, knowing God, living with him, loving him and being loved with him in a right relationship with him. You know, becoming a Christian is about freedom from the punishment of our sin. That's a glorious thing. But it is so much more than that. We are delivered not just from something. We are delivered for something. This glorious eternal life of knowing God and Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is emphasizing. And actually, although he does talk about being freed from punishment, the emphasis on the New Testament throughout the New Testament is on this. What is the nature of this glorious relationship in which we've been brought into? And Paul, so Paul is contrasting these two different kinds of slavery here. Uh, Being slaves to sin. Or being slaves to righteousness. And um, two, two types of uh, slavery. Slavery to sin, he says, leads to ever-increasing wickedness. You know, the old master, sin and behind sin, of course, the devil himself, who Paul doesn't talk about here, but that's the power behind sin. The old master wants to oppose God's ways as much as possible. And so if we follow him, he leads us further and further away from God and his ways. Now, that doesn't mean that all people who don't believe, all non-Christians are necessarily dreadful people to live with or that they're necessarily getting progressively more evil. But, you know, it is true that the more someone resists the call to Christ, the harder their hearts become towards him. And that actually... Our attitude to Jesus Christ, that's what tells, because a hard heart towards him is the worst wickedness of all, actually. 
someone's attitude to Jesus. That is what counts. You know, in contrast, slavery to righteousness leads to holiness, he says. Holiness or sanctification uh, actually means being set apart from God's purposes. I don't know what what images that phrase holiness conjures up in your mind. A monk perhaps with a halo or, or a, a black book full of thou shalt not or whatever. Those are the things that tend to be conjured up, which is a shame because being holy is about being set apart so God can use us for him and his kingdom. You know, my mum, uh, I've told you this before, my mum used to be uh, to do a lot of dressmaking. And she had a very special pair of scissors that were designated as dressmaking scissors. And woe betide us if we used her dressmaking scissors for anything else. Of course, it was tempting. You know, we had some paper to cut up or something. We reached for the nearest pairs of scissors. But her dressmaking scissors, they were special. Why did she have that attitude? It wasn't because she, she wasn't happy to share her things with her children. She, she, she was so, she poured her generosity into our lives in all kinds of ways. She shared sacrificially with us. It wasn't because she wasn't generous, didn't have a sharing heart, but it was because if those particular scissors were used for those other things, their edge would be blunted for the purpose for which they were made and for the purpose of cutting material. They wouldn't do that nearly so well. That's what she was concerned about. And she needed them for her dressmaking. Now, that's not that's what holiness is. Holiness is not that God wants us to live narrow, curtailed, boring lives, which is how we tend to think. But he knows the things that blunt our edge from serving him. And he wants us to keep that edge sharp. That's what he's concerned with. So we see again in uh, verse 20. Again, we have a curious way of putting things. Um, He talks about when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Well, he's making the contrast. As slaves to sin, perhaps he's saying, as slaves to sin, our consciences were perhaps less bothered by what we did. We didn't care so much what we did. We weren't sensitive to some of the things we did. And he goes on making the contrast. When you were slaves to oh, that's the bit I've just <laughs> just read. Uh, verse 21, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death what benefit it's literally what fruit what fruit came from being slaves to sin well increased wickedness as we've seen here notice he talks about shame increased shame and death that's the fruit of being a slave to sin or that's the wages of sin as paul says later in the passage that's the fruit that's what comes that what grows out of a life of Being a slave to sin, increase wickedness, shame, death. And not just physical death. That was introduced because of sin, but eternal death, eternal separation from sin. That is the punishment for our sin. Eternal separation from him. We've chosen, if that's the case, we choose to go our own way instead of God's. So actually God delivers us over to the full consequences of that choice. We say we didn't want God. 
okay then for eternity we won't have him and all the good things that stem from him which is the definition of what hell is with God and all his good blessings removed not to have him for eternity nor anything that stems from his goodness or love that's a that's a terrible terrible prospect But that is the fruit, that is the result of handing ourselves over to sin slavery. Sin is a terrible thing. You know, when we think of sin, it's not that God has dreamt up an arbitrary list of things to test us with so that he can be a killjoy to call these things that we might want to do sin. You know, we fall into that way of thinking, don't we? People say things like, they say, oh... Why is it that the things we enjoy most are either immoral, illegal, or fattening? You know, that is just a wrong, sin-twisted view of God. That God has declared certain things sin because, because somehow he doesn't want us to have pleasure. No, God has declared certain things sin because these things are the very things that spoil life. They destroy relationships, including our relationship with him. These things spoil God's good gifts, and that's why they're wrong. Sin spoils everything. Sin is not naughty but nice. Sin is foul, vile, and belongs to the realm of death. It stinks like a rotten corpse. There was a uh, news story on the uh, on the um, in the news this week about a suspicious passage that turned up at a German post office, and this suspicious passage emitted uh, such an overwhelming smell that several employees there had to go to hospital. When the package was explored, they found not some new form of uh, biological warfare. They found one of these. Durian fruit. I don't know if you know about durian fruit. It grows in Southeast Asia. It's highly valued, actually, in Southeast Asia. It's highly valued for its delicate, creamy taste. It's a great luxury. But along with the divine taste comes an overwhelmingly pungent smell. So much so that if you go to many hotels in Southeast Asia, you'll see uh, notices up. Please do not store durian in your room. Do not have any durian in the room. They ban guests from even having it in their rooms. Now, I've tasted durian, and it does taste lovely once you get over the smell. But it also has a tendency to repeat on you, (laughs) to put it politely, after you've eaten it. And I have to say, well, the taste, the experience you get as it repeats on you is nowhere near as pleasant when it's in reflux. It is nowhere near as pleasant as when the first time you eat it. It's not really very pleasant for anyone near you either. You know, sin may appear to be wonderfully pleasurable. Of course it is. We wouldn't be tempted by it, wouldn't we? Sometimes it appears... Luxurious. Sometimes it appears indulgent and we think, oh, we deserve a little treat. Sometimes it appears sophisticated. It's something the in crowd does and we do it to look cool or, you know, sophisticated. But sin in all its forms 
comes with the stench of decay. It belongs to the realm of death and therefore it stinks. Maybe sooner, maybe later, further down the road, sin spoils life. It will always do that. That's the very definition of what sin is. Sin leads to death. And if you continue to follow its impulses, well, you may be a believer, you may be saved, but it will fill your life with a stench of rotten decay. That's the benefit of sin. That's the, the, the fruit of being a slave to sin. The benefit of being a slave to God and to righteousness, well, that's different. Paul goes on to say, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Holiness, as we've said, being able to be used by him for his purposes and eternal life. And so we get to the memory verse, which I know you've all got in your heads now. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The benefit of being slaves to righteousness is not earned, it's not the wages, uh, like the wages of sin, it's not the wages of sin, it's the gift of God. It's not earned. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. The context is interesting, isn't it? Because often we use these verses to address unbelievers, people who don't trust in Christ yet. But Paul is addressing believers here. Eternal life, as Kate said, and as Kate and William did their balloon thing, eternal life is about life that does just doesn't come to an end. But it's more than that. It's about a quality of life. It's ultimately about a relationship. Life joined to the eternal. Yes, that never ends, but eternal life is life with God, life in Christ Jesus. And it is the opposite of life lived with sin, with all its spoiling and decay. You know, one of the glories of the gospel is that in the age to come, uh, the age to come is not just something we wait for. We do wait for the fullness of it. But in Christ and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the age to come has already started. It was launched as God raised his son from the dead. The future is already here. Not fully, not completely. We know that. We know the old age is still with us. We live in the overlap of those ages. The old age will be with us until Christ comes again. And we live in that overlap. We still know illness. We still experience death. But the new age has already begun, which means for the Christian, even death is just the shadow of death. And Christians enjoy this new age here and now. It's the peace of, of knowing that we have because we know that God, we know God. The joy of knowing him as our father. The indescribable privilege of prayer. Knowing that he hears us and he acts on what he hears. The sweetness of fellowship with other believers. We don't experience these things perfectly yet. Believers still fall out and still irritate each other. But eternal life starts now. And that includes power not to obey our sinful impulses. Power to be transformed, to be made more and more like Christ. 
Eternal life is not a prize we get at the end of the process. It is the life into which we have been born. I've been trying to think of a way of illustrating this. I don't know. Here's something I came up with. Imagine that you save someone from drowning. That's a wonderful thing. And you'd be, you'd be, uh, people would uh, praise you for that. And maybe, consequently, you're giving a, you're given a medal for bravery. And maybe you're given the medal by the Queen herself. What a great honour. That would be a, a, a reward for doing that. But now, imagine that the person you save is your own daughter. It's not comparable, is it? Because the medal would be nice, but the medal is nothing compared to the ongoing father-daughter relationship your actions make possible. Well, of course, God has saved us. But having saved us, we're now able to enjoy the wonderful gift of life joined to the eternal. This real and ongoing relationship with the creator of the universe. This is the thing we're saved for. But if we go on offering ourselves to sin slavery, which is a choice we do have, then we spoil that. We're choosing death instead of life. We're choosing to spoil the gift for which we've been saved. It's a bit like winning a car in a competition but then just not looking after it, never checking the oil, never servicing it, running it into the ground. We might have fun for a while, but, but we won't get the ongoing benefit of that relationship with the car. We'll spoil it. Or a bit like winning a ticket to see your favorite band and then not bothering to go. That's what it's like if we continue to offer ourselves as slaves to sin. I wonder if that's like you. I wonder if that's actually a good description of where you're at at the moment. You say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. I've believed. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. And and in your head, you're thinking, well, I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. I won't go to hell. I'm going to heaven. But actually, the way you live, the things that form your decisions, the influences you allow to shape you, the things that are really important to you, actually none of those are shaped by being God's servant, a slave to righteousness. You've got your ticket, you're okay. But actually, because you're not consciously, deliberately, consistently looking to walk in God's way, well, you may have your ticket, but you're missing out on the life. That's so sad. It's a denial of who you are in Christ. Don't let it be that way. Seek his face. Turn around. Repent and start putting Christ first. Ask him to help you with those things that you are choosing to give yourselves over to, to make yourself a slave to sin. But maybe you need to get off the fence. Maybe you've kind of grown up in a Christian situation and yes, you've believed, you're saying you're a Christian, but actually you like holding on to that security while carrying on with the rest of your life as if he isn't your Lord at all. Get off the fence. Stop hedging. Start really following. Maybe you're not at that point. Maybe you've listened to the gospel. Maybe you have grown up with the gospel. But but you do have this idea. Perhaps you're, you, you, you don't want to be a hypocrite like, like people who say they believe but carry on living anyway. 
you have that idea that following Christ will just spoil your life, that it will limit you, it will repress you, it will rob you of all pleasure. Friend, that is a lie of the devil. And if you are believing it, you're giving him great satisfaction because he's only interested in feeding you death. He's only interested in spoiling your life. Jesus wants to give you the very best life possible. Turn to him today. Bow the knee today. Repent, turn around and declare him to be your Lord and Saviour. Why would anyone want to stay a slave to sin? Can you imagine Solomon in that film turning around and just carrying on working in the fields as a slave? Why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to stay rooted in the realm of death when eternal life, life joined to the eternal with all his goodness, mercy and grace is offered to us? We're going to sing a hymn in a moment. The first verse goes like this. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms, and strong shall be my hand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that Christ has died and has risen again. And in so doing, he has made it possible for us to be delivered from the power of slavery to sin. Amazing that we can turn to that old boss and just walk away from him. Whatever he shouts, whatever he whispers in our ears, whatever tug he tries to use to get us back in into his in his employ, we can just walk away. And serve our loving master who only wants the best for us. What an amazing thing that is. So Lord, we know, we know our hearts, we know ourselves, we know how easily we find it to listen, how easy we find it to listen to that old master. Father, I pray you'll give us grace and strength to tell him to get on his bike. That he has no power over us. That we don't have to listen to him. And he can just stroll on. Father, help us to do that, I pray. And help us to do that consistently, day after day after day. Help us when we slip up, when we fall, when we fail. Not to get down and and paralyzed by that, but, but to turn back to you. And say, Lord, we're sorry, but thank you for your forgiveness. And we walk on. Help us, Lord, we pray. Help us to encourage one another too. What a wonderful thing it is to be in a a family of your children spurring one another on. And I pray that we will be looking for opportunities to do that this week. In Jesus' precious name, amen.